John may be mentioning a second church if indeed the elect lady and her children of verse 1 of 2 John is a church. He is greeting them from another church that he calls thy elect sister. 2 John 13. It's very possible that the elect sister is the church that he is mentioning in the third epistle of John, where we are right now. The third epistle of John. The same author, the elder, probably referring to his age, though it's the same word, presbyter, it refers to the office bearer, otherwise known as a bishop or a pastor. All three titles are synonymous. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom it, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating or ranting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men, and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our, our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. As you and I would compare second and third John, there are similarities and there are differences. The similarities would be that the same author is called the elder and the same theme we might say is walking in the truth. The need for God's people to walk in the truth and the need for not only truth but love. Obedience to God and a passion 
for the Lord and His people. Also similar is the, is the danger that John, who we believe is the elder, warns against in the epistles. A difference of warning is that in Second John, he is warning about deceivers from outside the church, where he says um, that if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine of Christ, receive him not into your house, nor bid him Godspeed. So he's cautioning them about deceivers from outside coming in. But in third John, they're already in, or at least a problematic person called Diotrephes is already inside the church and causing havoc. But the caution is to beware of false teachers or false brethren or um, problematic people from outside or from inside the church. And the difference is also that he is he's uh, anonymous in First John. There is no one that is named in the church called the elect lady and her children in in Second John, but you have actually three people named in the third epistle of John. You have Gaius, you have Diotrephes, and you have Demetrius. So really. You can divide 3 John in three ways according to these biographical sketches. 2 John may have been a house church like we see in the book of Philemon. They seem to be a little bit more established the church that's perhaps recognized in 3 John. They may have their own building. Again, 2 John, warning about trouble from outside. 3 John, trouble from inside. But both 2 and 3 John, uh, the theme is loving in the truth. Both times he mentions that he has no greater joy. In 2 John he says, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. And in 3 John he says, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. But he's constantly focusing on walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. And you know, walk is a metaphor for your Christian life from the beginning to the end. And there are some people that you can know just by their gait. Just by their walk. You don't even have to see their face. And perhaps even to listen to the, the way that their, their feet hit the ground. Uh, but how often have we said, we'll just see the back of someone and says, oh, that's so and so. Just by the way that they walk. It might be a long stride. It might be many little strides. Um, there's a particular woman that I know, she, she only takes a little bit at a time because she goes faster than some people that walk with long strides. She usually beats me to our car and she's sometimes behind me. 
But you can know someone by the way that they walk. And isn't it so spiritually? The Lord says you know a person by their walk. And John is saying that those who walk in the truth are true believers. So it's not just the creed. The creed is important. It's critical. But your creed should be backed up by your conduct. And that's what John is indicating in these epistles. There are people that have an orthodox creed, but they have an unorthodox conduct. Interestingly, John warns about uh, those who are not correct in their doctrine of Christ in 2 John. But in 3 John, the person that's causing a problem does not seem to be unorthodox in his creed. John does not accuse Diotrephes of a false doctrine of Christ. His, um, his problem is his conduct, which reflects uh, his creed that seems to be self-centeredness. But he seems to be someone that was not a heretic in any particular doctrine. He was just one who loved to have the preeminence. And so it's interesting, you can certainly have, you have the danger of people that have a false creed, have heresies that they promote, but then you have those that may dot their I's and cross their T's correctly regarding doctrine, but their practice, their conduct, is problematic, is troublesome, is dangerous. And that's what we seem to find in Third John. But again, the Apostle says that he has no greater joy than to know that people have a conduct that reflects their, their right creed, walking in the truth and walking in love. And if the Apostle, if that was his, his greatest joy, I hope that we understand that that should be our greatest joy. To know that you're Children walk in the truth literally in your family. Could you find any greater joy than that? Than if your sons and daughters all walked in the truth? Any of them that walk in the truth, could we have any greater joy? I hope that the greatest joy we have is not that our children might be wealthy or that they might have all kinds of degrees after their names or that they are popular or pretty or handsome. I hope that that is not the major reason why we would rejoice over our children or over a church or that ministers and elders would not rejoice over ulterior, secondary reasons, though they may be important and they may be something that are, is commendable. I trust that most of all that they believe and they walk according to their truth, that their behavior reflects their belief and that their belief, uh, um, their belief modifies and dictates their behavior. John says in, in 3 John that he loves Gaius. Now this Gaius, we're not sure who he is. It's a common name, something like, um, I have joy. I think his, the word joy is in his name. And he says, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. 
And it's interesting because um, it's not just a first person uh, singular verb, which means I love. I love is first person singular. But in the Greek, all you need to do is put the verb there and you have the I and the love. But when a person wanted to emphasize uh, whatever he was saying, he might include a pronoun in addition to the first person singular verb. So this is how it reads, whom I myself love in the truth. I don't know why exactly he places the pronoun in addition to the verb, but he does. It may be something like, you might not be loved by very many people because you're walking in the truth, but I do love you. And that's important to know too, that that uh, we're not a people pleaser, but it, but when you're living for the Lord, you're going to draw a lot of enemies. The Lord promises that. They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I don't think it's from four-legged things. The persecution is going to come from two-legged um, creatures. So it is encouraging to know that there are some two-legged creatures that love you because you're walking in the truth. And Jesus said, Woe unto you if all men speak well of you. And if you are walking with the Lord, you're going to have a lot of people speaking evil about you. So, what an encouragement it must have been. These take the form of personal letters. And we often write like this. Not just the first century. We write something like, uh, Dear so-and-so, I hope you are well. And uh, sometimes the other part isn't as prominent. Maybe because we think that they're going to be suspicious of us. But, but what, how John writes is, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. So he's talking about his physical health. Even as thy soul prospereth. So you see here, he's not just, not just spiritualizing the word being healthy. He's saying something like, hope you are well, but more so, I, I trust that your spirit, your soul is, is, uh, is right, is going on with the Lord. And, and that should be something that we should include in our personal letters. And uh, it does take the form of a more personal letter than a formal uh, epistle that we might read like in the book of Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians. He says, whom I love, I myself love in the truth. Now, is he simply saying, I love you truthfully in the Lord? Or is he saying, in the truth in the sense that in Christ? Since you're in Christ. And I, I think that he's saying we're, we're brothers. We're, we're like-minded. And I, I certainly John loved lost people, uh, but he especially loved those who were walking in the truth. And believers are closest to believers in this world. That's the relationship that's, that will outlast all other relationships in this world. We'll still be brothers we say, well, it's not going to be brothers and sisters, but we're still going to be siblings forever in eternity. And the word elder, again, is an aged patriarch. And as old as John is, he has the right to address even older Christians as children. And there are people that might be offended that, that John talks about uh, his children, but 
if you were an apostle and suffered like things that John did and, and all the rest of the apostles, you would have the right to refer to believers as yours. And he may have won this man to the Lord, which may be a reason why he speaks of him as his, his part of being his children. And remember, John is the last apostle to, to, to live and to die. The first martyr was his brother. And he's the last martyr. He's the last remaining apostle. And this may have been written a little bit before Revelation, so it's perhaps 90 A.D. And if John was around 20 when he was called, then John would be... Uh, he might be 80 years old by now. Uh, yet still going on. There are some 80-year-old preachers that are still ticking. And they're, 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 they're going on pretty well. Some say, well, you know, Third John is the only epistle that doesn't mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we can take sides with that. What does he say in uh, verse 7? Who is referred to as his namesake? These missionaries went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. It's got to be our Lord Jesus. There's not other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Above, there's, there's, as it says in Philippians 2, that God has given Him a name above all names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. So indeed, and it wouldn't have been a problem even if the name wasn't there because we have an Old Testament book that doesn't mention the name of God. None other than Esther. And it would not have been a problem if there was a New Testament book, but it does mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly, this book has God's fingerprints on it. But I would like to divide a third John in three ways kind of as biographical sketches. You have Gaius, verses 1 to 8, and we will also include 11a. You would have Diotrephes, or Diotrephes, however you would pronounce it, verses 9 to 10 and 11b. And then you have Demetrius, who's given uh, an honorable mention here, one verse, verse 12. And then you have the conclusion. So you have the introduction you have three biographical sketches and then you have the conclusion as an outline of 3 John. And we could relate each of these to the idea of truth. Gaius is a helper of the truth, a promoter of the truth. Diotrephes is a hinderer of the truth. And Demetrius is a herald of the truth. He seems to have a testimony that spans the churches and he may have been uh, a member of Paul's team, perhaps, or a roving evangelist. So Gaius, a helper of the truth, Diotrephes, a hinderer of the truth, and Demetrius is a herald of the truth. And so the truth is critical 
It's not a church if we don't believe and promote the truth. There are a lot of clubs that have the name church over them, but they don't have the marks of a church. What are the marks of a church? Isn't it biblical teaching and preaching? Isn't that the major mark? Truth. God's Word. Objective facts. Objective doctrine is what is taught and preached. The Bible is the textbook of a true New Testament church. Evangelism would be a mark. A concern for lost souls to be saved. Baptism in the Lord's Supper, the church's sacraments, guarding the church, discipline, church discipline that is um, certainly inferred in Second John and it is out front in Third John. There needs to be some church discipline. This man is exercising discipline himself. He's excommunicating people from the church. And John is saying underneath the line, I'm going to face, I'm going to bring up his, his, uh, his ranting words and his, and the problems. And in other words, John is saying, this man needs to go. And so this church is, is threatened if its troublemaker is not dealt with. So church discipline is huge. And there are churches that do not make it because they do not exercise church discipline. They allow heresies and heretics, and diatrophies-like people to roam rampant. And no wonder why Jesus says, if you don't deal with these people, as we see in the letters to the seven churches in Asia, Revelation 2 and 3, the Lord will come and stamp out its light. Oh, that the Lord would cause us to be a city set on a hill and We're to be a faithful church. We've got to adhere to and promote the truth and exercise uh, vigilance to guard the church from false teachers outside and inside. Gaius was a common name. Should be common of all believers to be helpers of the truth. We don't know if he was an elder in the church. Uh, we don't know if he was a member of a church elsewhere in the town. Our guess is that he's a member of this church um, that is mentioned in Third John. He said he wrote unto the church, verse 9. We think it's this church that John wrote to, but Diotrephes um, intercepted the letter. Apparently so it was not promoted among the people. And so we're thinking that Gaius is a member of this church. Maybe he lived at a distance. And we're wondering why was Diotrephes allowed to run roughshod when Gaius was there, who was a, a helper of the truth. But you can read between the lines that Gaius might have been a, a soft, more of a soft character and not really taking the bull by the horns and really not wanting to to cause rifts, and he really didn't face down this diatrophies. So you've got some real warnings and cautions in, in, in many churches today that we've got to have a backbone and we've got to be careful that we don't uh, 
that we aren't soft regarding these things. Now, John was concerned for his personal health, and especially he was thankful for his spiritual well-being. And God's people should be concerned for the the uh, personal health of people. But sometimes, as one man said, our prayer meetings uh, are like someone would read the, the the catalog in a hospital about the conditions of people in all the rooms. It's it's okay certainly to pray for the physical condition of people, but we need to pray for the spiritual well-being of our our members, of of our family members, of of the church. We need to pray for conversions. We need to pray that we might be more reverent, that we might be more prepared to worship God as we consider from Exodus 19. But he was certainly an object of the Apostle's appreciation and the Apostle made him know that. He says, I love you, brother, in the truth. And we are to be known by our creed that others have testified, it says, um, of the truth that is in thee as thou walkest in the truth. He said, people who have come from your church, people who have gotten to know you have come to us, verse 3, and testified of the truth that is in you, even as thou walkest in the truth. So, it's important to have a good testimony of others, not just of being nice and moral, but of being biblical. That should be something that really causes us to respect someone. They're they're biblically minded. They're biblically oriented. That they they care about truth. That they want to talk about truth. And I, unfortunately, we find often, don't we? In, in and it can happen in our congregation, other congregations. The conversation and the is, is about us. It's about it's about the things of this world, and and uh, very rarely the conversation is found about the things of God. And even after the Amen, how we can turn around and talk about a ball game, or talk about a shopping spree, or talking about talk about some some other a temporal area, but how we need to promote spiritual conversation and fodder. And he was certainly someone that impressed others with his uh, heavenly mindedness. How else could we say? Set your affection on things above and not the things of the earth. And I'm not saying that we ought not to be human beings and talk about jobs and talk about... um, things that interest us, and certainly our physical health. But after all, we're in the church where we gather together. And should we not be concentrating ourselves and, 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 and disciplining ourselves that we talk about the things of God? And isn't Isaiah saying that's the way in which we keep the Sabbath holy by thinking His thoughts, finding His pleasures, speaking His words, but we seem to be rubber bands. We stretch a little bit and then we just fall back into our, our temporal um, conversations. God, help us. Stretch us and keep us stretched, Lord. That we are iron sharpening iron. That we are that we're, uh, teaching ourselves together in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. Unto the Lord. 
We're known by our creed, and we're also known by our conduct, even as thou walkest in the truth. And again, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So Gaius may have been a convert under John, and John was certainly saying that he's going on with the Lord, and this brings him great joy. How it should bring us great joy if, if new converts are going on with the Lord, if our children know and are walking with the Lord. His testimony was loud and clear because it says that John hears this. And others have spoken and testified of this man's godly life and his focus on the Word of God. Now, you see how he was a helper of the truth because John says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. These brethren and and those strange brethren or unfamiliar brethren, in other words, this man was a, a helper of apparently missionaries who were coming and going at, at times through this church and other churches. And John is saying, your, your, your record, your track record is that you've been a faithful helper of these brethren and also of unfamiliar brethren that have come. And then we've had missionaries here that we knew someone knew from the past. And we've also had missionaries come that none of us knew uh, up until perhaps when we invited them and we had heard that they were faithful and they came to present their ministries. He says these itinerant preachers, missionaries, whoever they were, verse 6, bore witness of His love before the church. And he said, Whom if thou or since thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. In other words, there are some that go and there are some that send. We all ought to be in one or more of those categories. We ought to be those who are going, if God indeed has called us, but certainly going um, in our own towns, but certainly those who send people on their journey. So we're all to be going or sending or perhaps both. And this man had a track record of of forwarding these missionaries on their journey after a godly sort, literally worthy of God, worthily of God, which means God was pleased the way He treated missionaries. So put them up, a place to stay, gave them their necessary needs for that time and perhaps sent them on their way with with needs for a week or two or however it may have been. But they went he went over and above uh, his treatment, his hospitality. God's people, we should be known for our hospitality. He says, Thou shalt do well if this is the case. So he's leading up to the problem, but he's saying this has been Gaius's testimony. He's been hospitable. He's greeted these missionaries. He's welcomed them. He's, he's uh, encouraged them. He's, he's, he's let them share their, their, uh, their gifts and their calling. And He has sent them out uh, well-stocked 
and uh, encouraged on their way. Because he says, look, here's the main reason. These brothers, for the name's sake, for Christ's name, have, have gone and they've taken nothing of the Gentiles. So especially the churches should be taking care of them. They're not asking. And the Gentiles probably are referring to lost people, unbelievers. I don't think it's just a Jewish Gentile thing here. I think the word Gentile and, the, and sometimes the word ethnic which is the Greek word here, ethnos, referring to the nations. Sometimes that word is referring to the nations versus the kingdom of God. So I think that's the idea. Not that you shouldn't take a gift from a lost person if they know, say, you're a missionary. Hey, here, take this $50 bill and, and uh, you know, spend it at the airport. You know, there are unsafe family members, unsafe friends that might be very generous. Uh, after our fire in 2019, we had some very generous, uh, frankly, unbelievers who encouraged us along with a gift or some, some kind of uh, encouragement. Certainly many that just had a word of, of, of condolence. But their purpose, their, their practice, their habit was not to take, uh, not to ask for funds from lost people. And that's biblical, isn't it? And, uh, and, uh, but if you, if, you, if you apply this to Jew versus Gentile, I don't think that's the primary application. There were churches that Paul didn't take from. But then there were churches that he did because he had needs, obviously. Uh, and we ask, why didn't he take from Corinth? But he took from Philippi. Or he took from Thessalonica and he didn't take, well, for a couple of reasons. He, he would feel like, well, if a church was planted by him or if a church had problems, he just wanted, he didn't want to focus on, you know, himself and he didn't want to be known as someone that was trying to milk the churches. But he even used this term, I didn't take from them, but I robbed from you. He calls them, he said he robbed churches. I think he was obviously laughing when he wrote that or when he dictated that. But we ought to supply the needs of God's people. God indeed lays someone on your heart. Don't ignore that. Uh, Many have gone away from the comfort of family and familiar uh, territory and gone across the world to serve the Lord as we often pray for our missionaries in, in uh, Spain or in Africa or in Scotland or in New Zealand or Indonesia or, uh, and so on, we ought to care for the needs of God's servants. And churches ought to be places that receive missionaries from time to time. We ought therefore to receive such that we might be fellow helpers with the truth. So here he is, a helper of the truth, a helper in the truth. And the word is to entertain. The word receive in verse 8 is the word to entertain. We ought to entertain such. Notice the ought. It's an obligation. It's not just a suggestion. God's people who have the wherewithal should take care of those who do not. 
And not because they didn't choose to, or not because they couldn't, or, or, they, or they didn't want to work, but because of the situation, they didn't have the necessary work to provide their needs. They were actually planning churches. Now, the other verse that, that we would include under Gaius as a helper of the truth is verse 11a, where it says, Beloved, referring to Gaius, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, and he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Now, I'm reading this before verse 9 because this does refer to Gaius and it refers to Gaius in his relationship with Diotrephes. I think you can read between the lines here and, and say that he was soft on what was taking place. In other words, he was allowing what was going on in the church regarding Diotrephes. Beloved, I think you can translate it this way. Stop mimicking that which is evil, but, but that which is good. It, the word follow means imic or mimic or imitate. And so I think John is saying, brother, if you're allowing this man to continue to do what he's doing, you're partaking of that. You know, you're, it, it, it's, it's your, partly your fault. So I do think there's a weakness in Gaius that's inferred from the first part of verse 11. So Gaius is a helper of the truth, and we ought to be helpers of the truth. But secondly, verses 9 to 10 and 11b, you have, uh, or 11c, you have Diotrephes, a hinderer of the truth. You don't seem to see anything heretical as far as doctrinally in Diotrephes, but certainly in practice. I wrote unto the church, so apparently not this, this is not the letter he's referring to, it's past tense notice, I wrote, he must have written another letter and Diotrephes must have intercepted it. I wrote unto the church by Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. And the word receive there has the idea of he doesn't respect us. He doesn't respect our authority. So something happened, either that uh, he took over when the letter was being read or he just intercepted the letter and just rejected it. But he has a powerful influence on that particular church. But notice the description of this man. Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence among them. Receiveth us not. And then verse 10, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth. Now, what else did he do besides being disrespectful of the apostolic authority? It says, He prayed it against us. He ranted against us with malicious words. He slandered them. And he wasn't content uh, with slandering the outsiders. And... It says he didn't receive the brethren from the outside, the missionaries, and he forbid those that were in the church who had wanted to be hospital toward the missionaries. And he casted them out of the church if they disagreed. So he was personally excommunicating good people from the church. 
What a description. Can you imagine that being your, a description of you and me on our epitaph, on our tombstone? This man loved to have the preeminence. Can you imagine being your only description of you or I in the Bible? Loved to have the preeminence. Ranted against God's people with malicious words, was a slanderer, was a gossip, was someone who hindered the work of God, who caused havoc within the church. A.T. Robertson wrote an article. This is kind of comical, but it shows you perhaps that this is not unique in churches. A.T. Robertson, who was a godly Baptist uh, minister and theologian early in the 20th century, he wrote an article on diatrophies. <clears throat> and uh, 25 ministers canceled their subscription for they felt that he was slandering them. <laughs> he didn't mention anybody's name. He just wrote an article on diatrophies and said that this is, is something that does take place in churches. Twenty-five ministers canceled their subscription. I think it was Christianity Today. So it's kind of like the guy that's, that's, that's uh, running and, and he gets his pant leg caught on a, uh, a, uh, a wire on the fence and he says, I didn't do it. <laughs> There's nobody chasing him. He just got caught on a fence. But he's so guilty, he's thinking someone's always after him. Something like happens in our dreams sometimes. But I think there's a, I think there's a tongue-in-cheek the way John wrote this, too, interestingly. So Diotrephes represents those who want the preeminence. Me first. Me first. What's it called today? The me first... Uh, generation. Well, you know how John wrote this in the Greek? Look what it says in the English. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Here's what it does in the Greek. I wrote unto the church, but he that loveth to have the preeminence among them, Diotrephes. He puts Diotrephes' name almost last in the sentence. You talk about a way of, of the first being last and the last being first. Well, that's the way John writes it. And Demetrius is also first in the sentence in English in verse 12, but I have good news that he's also first in the sentence in the Greek. So you see how John, even by the way he writes this letter, can give his sentiment on what's happening on the on the you know on the the character of these two men that's the irony but the one loving to be first among them diatrophies is actually last now what were his sins he rejected apostolic authority he does not receive us that's the word for uh his disrespect, his rejection of their authority. Can you imagine not receiving the authority of an apostle, of John himself, the one who leaned on Jesus' bosom, that wrote the Gospel of John? I mean, who would have the audacity to, to disrespect an apostle? 
There is a suggestion that he must have been an aristocrat. He must have been someone from a well-to-do family. Matter of fact, there are those that say that his name, unlike Gaius, is a very rare name in, new t- in, in early centuries. Diatrophes, which actually is a decent name, nurtured of God, um, perhaps was a very wealthy, influential person. He just was jealous of the, ap- the ap- apostolic authority of John. Who are you? You're not a pastor here. Now, this man may not have been a minister, but he rejected apostolic authority. Perhaps he was in a prominent family. And you know, those things can be temptation. You have a lot of money, you've got a lot of influence, you have a position in the community. Man, you know, you've got the leverage. And you treat the church, it's, 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 it's again, it's, it's politics. Politics in the church. Oh, you wouldn't think there would ever be a church that exercises politics, do you? Bribes, yeah. Who gets the first pew? Who gets, who gets the best place? Who gets the treatment? I wonder, do preachers, as they prepare sermons, say, you know, I better not say that because he's going to be upset. I better not say that because she's going to upset. So, we're puppets. I trust we prepare messages at the guidance of the Lord. He rejected apostolic authority. He slandered them. He ran it against them with evil words, we're told. The word evil there is immoral, not just evil as in bad. In other words, um, he was indicting them for things they didn't do. I was listening to a message and a preacher uh, said that he's been wrongfully slandered. And he said the first one was adultery. He was He was slandered for being an adulterer. And it, it, I mean, it was scars left and right, but he had all kinds of public um, help and they, the church uh, vindicated him and there was no evidence of, of any questionable behavior even. And yet, things can spread like wildfire. And also, he said he was... He was uh, attacked. If you live long enough, if you minister long enough, you're going to be attacked. But he was attacked for swindling money. And, and again, he was vindicated. But that's why we've got to be so careful that like the Billy Graham rule, that you're not alone in the same place with the opposite gender unless you have you know, someone around, unless your wife is around, or unless you have um, those that can vouch for your integrity. You've got to be so careful. And the funds as well. I have no idea what people give. And I, I just... It's taken care of by the, by the treasurer. And you know, I certain, from time to time I'll say, well, are they faithful to the Lord? And you know, is, there, is there integrity there? And so on. But that's it. We have to be so careful about these things because ministers fall... The number two greatest things, the two... Um, most um, problematic areas are immorality and greed, covetousness. So this man was slandering. He was disrespectful of visiting brethren, didn't receive them. Then he, preve- uh, he prevented these missionaries. The word prevent here is used about the disciples who are hindering children from coming to the Lord. Um, 
of John himself who said, I forbade a man from preaching you because he didn't follow us. And of religions that forbid marriage in their doctrine, in their practice. 1 Timothy 4.3 So here's a man that was causing inside trouble. Perhaps you have experienced a diatrophies in a church that you've grown up in or you've been associated with. We need to beware of the diatrophies in the church today. Now people ask, was this man converted or not? Was he saved or not? Sometimes we may not know. But I think John gives a clue. That's why I included 11c with diatrophies, a hinderer of the truth. John says to, to Gaius, he, he that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil has not seen God. Don't you think that's a commentary on diatrophies? Because he says earlier, he's ranting with evil, with malicious words. He's doing evil in the church. So John is giving his opinion, certainly, and I think it's an educated opinion, that Diotrephes doesn't know the Lord. That's pretty serious. And so it's a warning to all those that are wanting preeminence in the church. He must increase. You and I must decrease. It's not about you and me. It's not whether we are respected or not. I trust that that you and I are not looking for public opinion uh, primarily. That we're not certainly we want to, to be respected as believers. We want to be we want to we want experienced believers to acknowledge that we're Christians. But as far as whether we're going to get public recognition or any honor in this life, I hope that you and I are, are able to say, Lord, you must increase. I must decrease. Lord, help me to humble my pride. Help me not to look on my own things, but on the things of others. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that what describes our Lord Jesus? So... The hinderer of the truth is a warning to you and me that that we need to be a helper of the truth. And thirdly, Demetrius. The third biographical sketch in 3 John. If Gaius was a helper of the truth and Diotrephes was a hinderer of the truth, Demetrius is a herald of the truth. His testimony sounded out, we're told. He has a good report. It speaks of something that that has started and continues. He has a good testimony of all men. What a blessing. And he wasn't looking for it necessarily. That's the way it's going to happen. When you don't look for uh, public recognition, you're living for the Lord. It's humility that's known, isn't it? It's... It's humble service. It's, it's unselfish ministry that people will pay attention to. Just something so beautiful, isn't it, about a humble servant of the Lord. Demetrius had good, a good testimony by all men and of the truth itself. Now that's a kind of strange statement. The truth 
itself testifies. What does that mean? Well, first of all, by all, generally, everywhere, it's a, it's a testimony. Who was this man? We're not sure. Was he a helper of Paul? Was he a member of this church? Was he a Christian in the community? We don't know. But the fact is, we do know that he was a herald of the truth. He was a person that promoted the Word of God and, and he promoted true Christianity. The Bible, in other words, by the truth itself, in other words, the Bible commends Demetrius. And that's all that matters, doesn't it? You know, you and I might not be commended by him or her, even by some eminent Christians. But if the Bible commends us, what else do we need? If God commends us. In other words, God testified that Demetrius was a faithful bearer of the truth. And he says, by us too. Not just by generally by all and by the Bible itself. But, ye, but it says, yea, and we also bear this record. Apostolic commendation. And so, it is a blessing when eminent Christians recognize our Christianity. But at the end of the day, will we hear thou, uh, well done thou good and faithful servant. Again, notice the opposite of diatrophies. Demetrius is just quietly serving the Lord, humble, herald of the truth. And he is first. And Diotrephes, who wants the preeminence, he wants the public opinion, he wants the recognition, he's last. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Conclusion, he says, I really wanted to write more, but... Read between the lines, he said, Diotrephes, had, we had to get a letter through. So I don't know how it got through past Diotrephes, but apparently Gaius got this. Somehow, John made sure that Diotrephes didn't intercept this. It may be that Demetrius is the bearer of Second and Third John. But he says, I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, no more softness. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm giving you a little pad right now by giving you a little letter. But let's get ready to stand up against this man. As John himself says, you know, some might say, well, was John, would they have labeled John like, Pete, like Paul? Well, he's weighty with his letters, but he's not weighty in presence. But what does John say? He says, when I come, verse 10, I will remember his deeds which he doeth. And the word remember has the idea, I will bring up. Remember is to, is to bring back, is, you know, whatever you're remembering. You're bringing it up. And that's the idea. But he's going to face diatrophies. And he's, he's saying, I want you to be right with me, um, Gaius. So the Lord has a way of us Stepping forward, if we're reticent, if we're if we're uh, cowardly, God remove the cowardice from us and help us. But it always it is nice to have somebody beside us, you know, or someone that can show us the way. And perhaps even the greeting, the, the closing greeting, "Peace be with thee," indicates what's happening. There's not so much peace right now in that church, and he's certainly uh, praying and 
trusting that God will bring tranquility to where there is a ripple or more in the church. But again, here's Paul saying, look, there are others that are really concerned about this church. Our friends, literally our loved ones, salute you. So he's, he's indicating, look, it's not just me. It's not just a few of us. There are many that are concerned about you. And they're telling me, tell them, you know, we're, we, we we're with him. We're, we're, we're wanting the best for him. But then he says, greet the friends by name. In other words, I think what he's saying is, don't miss anybody. You know, tell everybody that I'm... So obviously he's encouraging them all to listen to this letter, not just for Gaius. But he's saying everybody's important. And you remember how Paul ended some of his letters like Colossians and Romans? He names one after another. He was a man that, that would meet people and he talked to anyone and everyone. He wasn't a man that was just uh, rubbing up to the shoulders of, of the elite. He was a man that was right there in the dust with the common believer like you and like me. And that's the way we ought to be. You know, remember Dan was saying how at our presbytery meetings there were certain men that stood out that would sit down at the same table with our lay elders from churches. Just not, you know, and I, I understand every presbytery, every group of ministers has, unfortunately, our cliques. Every group is going to have some kind of cliquishness. But then those that stand out are the ones that are to sit down with anyone and everyone to get to know who we are, that everyone is important in the family of God. Every gift is necessary. Every believer is precious. Isn't that it with the Lord? Does the Lord only listen to the prayers of His elite, eminent saints? He listens to our prayers, doesn't He? And the Lord is one who greatly rejoices of all who walk in the truth. Let us walk in the truth. Let us be known by our gate, our truthful gate.